Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Hi, my name is Hannah Lynch, and I am the Associate Director of Federal Government Relations and Health Policy for the National Psoriasis Foundation. I'm joined today by Sarah Buchanan, Director of Advocacy at the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Sarah and I are here to discuss about how our organizations are leading the effort to pass federal step therapy reform. Sarah, thank you so much and welcome to Soundbites. Thanks, it's exciting to be here. Before we dive a bit deeper into the federal legislation we are advocating for, I wanted to set the stage by describing how insurance mandated step therapy impacts patients, whether they have psoriatic disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, or really anyone that takes a prescription medication. Imagine you were recently diagnosed and had an appointment with your doctor to develop a treatment plan. Your doctor discussed different options and you both agreed on a treatment that made sense based on your unique medical history and because it was covered by your insurance. Then you go to fill the prescription at the pharmacy counter and you are denied. After calling your insurance company, you learn that the treatment was denied because you have to try other medications first. This practice is called step therapy or fail first because patients must try and fail insurance selected medications before getting coverage for the therapy originally prescribed by their doctor. During step therapy, a patient's disease can remain uncontrolled or even get worse in some instances. We've heard from many patients who ended up in the emergency room or needed otherwise preventable surgeries because step therapy stood between them and the treatment they needed. These stories are the reason that the National Striasis Foundation and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation are leading a coalition of patient and provider advocacy groups to pass the Safe Step Act, which would protect patients from step therapy. Sarah, can you tell our listeners more about what the Safe Step Act would do to protect patients? Of course. Let me start first by echoing the impact that insurance-mandated step therapy has had on the patient community. Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis are chronic conditions of the gastrointestinal tract. A large percentage of our patients have experienced step therapy, and many of them have experienced severe and irreversible health consequences as a result. For example, I have met several patients who became so sick during the months required to prove failure of a step therapy drug that they ultimately needed the permanent removal of their colon. This could have been avoided had they had the right treatment at the right time. This is why the Crohn's and colitis community, along with several other patient communities, are so passionate about advancing the Safe Step Act, because patients truly have a lot on the line here. So to answer your question, the way that I like to describe the Safe Step Act is that it would do three things. One, it would require employer health plans to offer a clear step therapy appeals process so that patients or their provider can request an exception to a step therapy drug when the drug is not appropriate. In other words, patients can appeal to skip a step when truly medically needed. Two, 
insurers must respond to a step therapy appeal within three days or 24 hours in an emergency situation. And three, the bill establishes five circumstances in which a patient should be allowed to skip a step. And these are medically reasonable circumstances, such as when a patient is stable on their treatment or there's evidence to believe the step therapy drug will not work or will cause harm. The Safe Step Act does not ban step therapy. It simply ensures the patients and providers can access a working appeals process. Also, this approach has been popular in the states. Very similar protections have already passed in over a dozen states, and over half of the states in the country, about 28, have passed some form of step therapy protections. Thanks for the great overview, Sarah. And you mentioned that over half the states in the country have passed step therapy protections so far. I think it's important for our listeners to know that the state bills apply to state regulated insurance plans, such as the individual marketplace, whereas the Safe Step Act would complement these state laws by adding these patient protections in federally regulated plans called ERISA plans which is a really wonky way of saying employer-sponsored health plans. That's why this federal legislation is important since insurance plans provided by employers are regulated by the Department of Labor. Moving any federal legislation forward can be a really long process, and we have been working on federal step therapy reform since the original version of this bill was introduced in the House in 2017. Sarah, can you give our listeners some insight into the history of this campaign? Sure. I would say that thanks to the engagement of many organizations working on this, we've been able to make some pretty fast progress, relatively speaking. The bill was first introduced in the House of Representatives in 2017, as you mentioned, and it was reintroduced at the start of the 116th Congress in 2019. A Senate companion bill was also introduced that year in 2019. And a companion bill just means that the Senate version is basically the same as the House version. But since the bill has to pass both chambers, we thought we'd get a head start by introducing it in both chambers at the same time. Exactly. And since the introduction of the bills, we've been steadily working to build up the list of members of Congress that publicly support them called co-sponsors. Because step therapy is a widely and deeply felt issue, there is a large stakeholder group of patient organizations like ours, as well as provider societies, that have been discussing this with their legislators. Currently, the House bill has almost 150 bipartisan co-sponsors, so that means they're supported by both Democrats and Republicans. And the Senate bill has 16 bipartisan co-sponsors out of 100 members in the Senate. So that's pretty good progress so far. Ultimately, we'll need to get good support from members of Congress as well as leadership to pass the bill. But like many things this year, the pandemic has interrupted normal procedures for legislating. Even with the COVID-19 pandemic limiting our ability to have meetings in person on the Hill, our organizations have been able to still hold meetings with Hill staffers and gather co-sponsors for the Safe Step Act. Earlier this year, MPF and many of our partner organizations held their annual Capitol Hill Days in a virtual form to continue raising awareness about the Safe Step Act. Even though the meetings were virtual, they were still effective, and we've been able to add co-sponsors since then. I would definitely agree. Legislators are particularly sensitive to the needs of their constituents at this time, and virtual-led advocacy is working. I'll add that our foundation also held a virtual Capitol Hill Day in May, and since March of 2020, 
by working virtually, the patient and provider communities have added 16 co-sponsors to the Safe Step Act in the House and three co-sponsors in the Senate. Clearly showing that the momentum for this bill is still building. Outside of the pandemic, there are, of course, political factors at play that have slowed the bill moving forward this year. Before COVID-19, the House Education and Labor Committee, which is the House Committee of Jurisdiction for Safe Step Act, was gathering feedback from other stakeholders about the bill and were gearing up to potentially hold a committee hearing. The bill language was sent over to the Congressional Budget Office, or CBO, to provide estimates on the economic impact of the Safe Step Act, which are both key steps for a bill to advance to a hearing. However, once COVID-19 hit, Congress turned to relief legislation and other legislation that was not directly tied to the pandemic was put on hold. Sarah, what other factors are we navigating as we look forward to the end of this year? Well, we are still living with the coronavirus right now, and Congress has been trying to pass an additional round of relief legislation for the past few months. The fall is also the time of year when Congress must finalize the annual bills that fund government agencies, the appropriations bills. And we are also in the midst of election season with a major presidential election and several toss-up races. The elections mean Congress is not in session much leading up to November 3rd, despite a packed agenda. However, it also means legislators are spending time in their districts campaigning and listening to the concerns of their constituents. And it is a good time for advocates to be communicating with their legislators. So as we look towards the end of the year, we are strategizing on avenues to move the Safe Step Act forward. Yes, and we have been having conversations with our bill sponsors about potential paths forward before the end of the year. While the window of opportunity may be closing to pass the bill this year, every action we take to advance it will bring us closer to implementing a working step therapy appeals process in employer plans. Our strategy includes conducting outreach to House and Senate leadership to make sure they are aware of this issue and urge them to consider the bill in any future moving legislative packages. We are also continuing to add co-sponsors to the bill on a regular basis. Patient stories illustrating the negative impact of insurance mandated step therapy are also very helpful for making the case that Congress should prioritize passing the Safe Step Act. While we are leaving no stone unturned to advance the bill this year, we are also looking forward at how to reintroduce the Safe Step Act in the next Congress. I'll add to that, what has really struck me throughout the legislative process for the Safe Step Act is the central role of volunteer advocates in moving it forward. I think our most impactful strategies in advancing the bill have centered on the involvement of volunteers. Legislators are moved to take action, like co-sponsoring the bill, when they hear the personal experiences of their constituents. Patient and provider stories about step therapy or even constituent opinions if you haven't experienced it really do inspire champions on Capitol Hill. All kinds of advocacy activities help here, and advocating can range from participating in a simple e-action alert where you type in your address and a couple sentences on your opinions about step therapy and click send, and an email gets sent to your legislators, to taking time out of your day to hold a formal meeting or virtual meeting with your legislator or their health staff. We've made tremendous strides so far in raising awareness and attention and support on this bill, and passing this bill is really going to take all hands on deck. 
Sarah, I want to say thank you again for joining me today to talk about the Safe Step Act and why federal step therapy reform is so important. And I also want to say thank you for all of your help with the work in this coalition and moving this important legislation forward. Thanks for having me. You can check out the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation's work on step therapy at www.crohnscolitisfoundation.org slash step therapy. And I would concur. It's been great working with y'all, and I'm looking forward to making more progress on the bill and ultimately getting it done. Step therapy continues to be one of the main policy focuses here at MPF, and we are excited to continue to advocate for federal step therapy reform in order to help our community. Our successes in the states and momentum behind the Safe Step Act would not be possible without patient and provider advocates who share their stories. If you or a loved one have experienced step therapy, we want to hear from you. If you are actively experiencing step therapy, please contact NPF's free patient navigation center. A patient navigator can help you understand how insurance works, how to deal with insurance denials, and learn about programs that may lower the cost of your treatments. Check out the episode notes for ways to get in touch with us or visit us at our website, advocate.psoriasis.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.